I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dennis Turner is a well-known academic, first made so in his home country of England as a Marxist historian and social theorist. He later turned to medieval theology, especially mystical theology, which is how I encountered him while at divinity school. Dennis was my professor for medieval theology a whippet-thin man who could be found walking furiously across the quad while simultaneously talking to enthralled students and chain-smoking. Dennis is a brilliant, a gifted, if at times distracted, lecturer. He lards his lectures with lots of personal anecdotes, which is how I heard the story of this transatlantic flight. Jammed into coach class, cheek by jowl with his neighbors, Dennis settled in for the flight which was suddenly disrupted over the Atlantic with turbulence. Not the bumpy hold your drink kind, but the all flight strapped in hysterical voice of the pilot warning that things don't look so good kind the kind you hope you never have to face. As they were whipsawed around, Dennis overheard the couple next to him begin to pray. They prayed for each of their children. They gave thanks for all the blessings of their lives. They prayed for God's peace. To which Dennis barked out, Stuff it, mates. I want to live. (laughs) And then he began praying fervently to God for just that. Save us. Save me. Keep us from crashing. Now, I don't necessarily think one of those prayers is better than the other, though Dennis clearly followed in the tradition of the widow in today's gospel. This is a odd parable. It's prefaced by a description that tells us the parable's meaning. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Then it's followed by an exercise in logic. If an unjust judge will help one who cries out, how much more so then will God, the righteous, the merciful one, grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. And then there's a final question at the end for listeners. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, there's a lot of weight around this rather slim parable. It's about prayer and hope. It's about God's justice. It's about our faith somehow. Meanwhile, there's the parable itself, known as the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. It's a slim three verses wherein a judge in a certain city who has no fear of God nor respect for people is pestered by a widow who demands that he provide justice. 
Now, another way to interpret this is vengeance. She wants justice or vengeance against her opponent. The justice, the judge, isn't interested in the widow or her case, yet she is persistent, she's pugnacious, and the judge finally relents to do what she wants, not because he thinks her case is a good one or that she's in the right or because he has compassion for her, but because she's bugging him. She's wearing him out with her constant assaults. The original language invokes the language of boxing, suggesting that she might just give him a black eye with her constant battering of arguments and complaints. Truthfully, the judge gives in because he's tired. He doesn't want to have to deal with her anymore. We often imagine this widow here as one of the oppressed fighting for justice. After all, widows are one of the groups, along with orphans and aliens and the poor, who are most vulnerable, and so scripture reminds us over and over to protect them. But this widow doesn't seem to need any help. In fact, it's not totally clear that her case is even a just one. After all, she's seeking vengeance or justice against her opponent, which is not exactly what our Lord asks us to do when he asks us to forgive one another over and over and to avoid judging one another. And the judge doesn't seem to be particularly unjust, unwise maybe, since he doesn't fear God or respect people, meaning that he's ignoring the great commandment to love God and love neighbor. Maybe he's a little lazy, not quite wanting to do his job, whether that's listening to the widow in the first place or making a fair judgment. He just settles her case, not based on merits, but because he wants to get rid of this pain in his patukas. Still, the widow was persistent. She didn't lose heart, and she got what she wanted. So, a pretty simple lesson, right? I mean, pray hard enough for what you need, and whether it's righteous or ridiculous, it will be done for you. Um, no. That's a ridiculous, a terrible lesson on prayer. And even if the parable means it, I'm not going to preach it. After all, every single one of us has prayed fervently, desperately, for something to happen or not happen. And every single one of us knows that we don't always, or even often, get what we ask for. This annoying widow, this persistent widow got what she wanted but that's not what's interesting about her what's interesting is that she forces the judge to pay attention to her she forces the judge to be in relationship with her she did not lose heart she had faith that she would be heard that she would be seen and isn't that after all, what prayer is. 
not an asking and a getting, not treating God like an ATM, but a relationship. For whether we pray quietly to accept God's will or shout loudly for our own, whether we are suffused with peace or quivering with anger when we pray, prayer is a relationship, a trusting that we are seen, that we are known, that we matter. This is one of the great themes of scripture, Hebrew and Christian. Whatever happens, God is with us. Sometimes things work out the way we want. Sometimes nothing works out the way we want because of the ways of the world, the frailty of our bodies, the flaws of others, our own failings. But what is certain is that God is listening, that God is never far from us. God is in the struggle with us, whether like Jacob, we wrestle in the dust until dawn, refusing to let go until God blesses us, or whether we pray like Jesus in the garden, take this cup from me if it is your will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Folks in the Bible bargain with God. They yell at God. They complain to God. But they keep talking to God. They pray always, confident that God is there. God is listening. God cares about them. We don't pray and we don't persist because we believe that somehow we will earn some kind of benefit, that our hard work will pay off, that we'll twist God's arm so hard that we'll get what we want. No, we pray and we persist because we trust that God listens, that God can take our truth and our fears, our petty desires and our anger. We pray because we trust that God is with us. Even while the judge said no to the widow, God was with her. God is with us even when we hear no, even when we are failing. We pray at those times, not just to the God who changes things, but to the God who loves us and accompanies us at all times. We pray to the one who will, in the end, make sure all is well, all is just, even if it's not well, not right in this moment perhaps not even in our lifetime. After all, God is not a cosmic Pez dispenser, a heavenly Santa Claus, giving out gifts at the press of a button, but God is the divine lover, the one who created all, who is beyond our imaginations and yet as close to us as our own breath. So, whether our prayer is, thy will be done, or grant me peace, or stuff it, mate, I want to live, God is with us and will never let us go. 
That is why we persist in prayer. That is why we do not lose heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.